0: Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of People First, where I'm excited to introduce you to my friend and colleague, Charlene Wheelis. Charlene is the author of the groundbreaking book, You Are Enough, and more on why I think it's groundbreaking in just a moment. But a little snippet of Charlene's background. She is a successful business executive, she is a leadership coach and advisor, keynote speaker, and author. She has just done her second TEDx talk and brings more than three decades of experience in leadership, corporate affairs, communications, and operations. Uh, she works with leaders, executives, and teams to inspire and motivate others for breakthrough performance and to transform and strengthen their workplace culture.
0: Charlene, welcome to People First. Uh, Thank you, Maura. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning.
1: Uh, Well, I'm going to get to my opening question in a moment, Mm -hmm. but I want to clarify. I described your book, You Are Enough, as groundbreaking, and it was for me because you know it's going to be a doozy of a read, or in my case, a listen, because I'm listening to the audiobook version, when in chapter one, I'm walking through my neighborhood (laughs) and I literally go, and you think, OK, this is going to be a good one. And we'll come back to what made me go, what? <laughs> in such a passionate outburst. And it's not the only time that you and listening to you narrate the book has made me exclaim, both with shock or, and horror at some places. <laughs> but let's start this conversation, Charlene, in my usual place, your origin story. So sure. you're a wee girl, you're at elementary mm-hmm. school and the teacher, Charlene, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was your dream or your aspiration uh, when you were a little girl?
0: Well, I wanted to be a bus driver, a city bus driver. <laughs>
1: and, right. Getting goosebumps. I'll tell you why in a minute. Keep going. <laughs> <All> <laughs> yeah. right. Bus driver. So,
0: why did you want to be a bus driver? Well, you know, people say often that representation matters, right? I grew up in a part, um, a suburb of, uh, of Oakland, California which is uh, really known for, um, for drugs and crime and guns. And so, you know, the only people I saw who had jobs that looked exciting to me were bus drivers. And so I thought, well, that's all that's really available to me is being a bus driver. So I thought, well, that's what I want to be. Uh, Later, I would say um, I I changed my viewpoint and I wanted to be a teacher, an elementary school teacher, because I had um, a third grade teacher named Miss Daisy, um, who I just thought hung the moon. So then I thought, well, I'm going to be a teacher. Okay. And what topic did Miss Daisy teach then? Well, she was my third grade teacher, so she just taught everything, (laughs) but she's the one who introduced me to reading. And that was uh, reading changed my life.
1: Okay, well, reading and words, because I know you're an ex, um, executive in communication. So what was yes. the pivot point then? You say there that reading changed your life. Mm-hmm. Tell me because, more about that pivot point. Yeah,
0: reading um opened the world to me. You know, um we were um, you know, we were not um we we were not even middle class when I was um when I was growing up. And so my world was very limited. And although I saw different shows on television, there weren't shows um, of people who looked like me. So Mm -hmm. even my imagination was limited until I learned to read. And then all of a sudden, as people say, you know, these whole new worlds of possibility open up to you. And I also fell in love with words. I mean, I um, have had my entire life from the time I can remember, um, I just have a love affair with words. So it's
1: interesting, it's one thing to get lost in books and enjoy Mm -hmm. reading and having a love of words. It's a different thing to then write a book. And whilst we're often told, oh, everybody Mm -hmm. has a book in them, (laughs) not everybody has a book in them that they want to get out or that they should get out. So what was the inspiration for you and your book, You Are Enough?
0: Gosh. Well, so um, as you know, since you're reading the book, you know, I went through um, a pretty big health crisis starting in 2017. And I was diagnosed with um, with stage two breast cancer. And it was actually the second time in six months that I had been diagnosed with cancer. And so this time I had to pay attention. The first time I kind of ignored it and to the extent that you can. And um, and. It, my seven-month treatment plan turned into a near five-year battle for my life. So, you know, in the middle of that, um, I had gone back to work. At first, taken time off, then I went back to work, and uh, and I realized I wasn't getting any better. Uh, and in fact, I started having you know really strange complications. Some you've read about in the book, yeah. and I thought, you know, I need to make a change. And so I decided to leave the corporate world in uh, January of 2020. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I wasn't leaving to go to something. I was mm-hmm. just leaving so that I could get better uh, because I uh, stress is a killer. I mean, let's just put it that way. It, it can really be a c- killer. And so I didn't know what I was going to do. And I am a, a religious person. And so while I had cancer and was going through all of this, I never asked why me, you know, why not me? But I did ask, what am I supposed to do with this, with this cancer? And uh, after I left work, I, I um, took about a month and I woke up one day, Morag, and, um, and I said, oh, my gosh, I'm supposed to write a book. And I'm supposed to write a book about cancer. And then I thought, no. I'm supposed to write a book about what it's like being a black woman coming up in corporate America and really just coming up in the world, you know, in, I was born in 1964 and, you know, coming up as a little black girl in the U S in 1964 and then climbing the corporate ladder. What was that like? And one, one thing I've always been blessed with is courage You know, and there are a lot of people who tell the stories, but they sugarcoat them. They don't tell the whole story. And, you know, God blessed me with the courage to tell the whole story. And so, um, uh, you know, so I just really felt like um, it was my calling to write the book. I I didn't write it because um, I wanted to be an author. I wrote the book because I had something to say and I felt there was something that people needed to hear.
1: Uh, And I would applaud that. I think you have so deftly woven. I mean, there are so many strands and threads I want to pull on Mm -hmm. in terms of the work and the career and the bias and the discrimination that you've experienced, Mm -hmm. along with your personal revelations and your health journey Mm -hmm. so masterfully that, as I say, it's going to be a book that I know I'm going to go back and listen to several times because Mm -hmm. there is so much richness in there. And even your your early chapter where you lay it out, this is me, and you give us that ground roll, of, mm-hmm. ground basis of your early career, and then you move on to chapter two, which is all about quick whining, you know, just <laughs> yes. get up there and do it. So as you chose which stories went into or lived experiences, I hate that phrase mm-hmm. stories because it implies there's an element of fiction and these are lived experiences. But when you chose what went into the book and what didn't. What, mm-hmm. what did you find most fascinating about what you rediscovered
0: about yourself? Gosh, you know, I started thinking about what were the areas that um, had the biggest impact on me? You know, they're the things that happened to you that I call kind of our pivotal points, right, or pivotal moments in your life, where you also have the opportunity to turn it around right? Because I didn't want the book to just be here is Charlene's sad story. I wanted the book to be about here's a story of an overcomer and give people tools where they could also overcome, right? That um, maybe in reading the book, people who are walking my journey, the journey is a a bit shorter, it's a bit lighter, and maybe they're even able to um, avoid, some of the, uh, the pitfalls or experiences that I had. So I really tried to look at things that were, that gave me lessons, taught me lessons that I could turn into strategies for others. Um, and that were, that were meaningful, that yeah. were meaningful. And, you know, and I included the, the, as you know, the book is very personal and I included a lot of the cancer piece in, in into it because cancer became a very big part of my life. Um, and a big part of of why I do something different now. And I wanted people to understand that you can't compartmentalize your life, right? That we all try to do that when we go into the work world. It's like, well, this is work, Charlene. This is home, Charlene. This is parent, Charlene. This is, you know, whichever. And, you know, you just really can't compartmentalize your life and not and, and lead a full life as well.
1: And that was one of the ah ahas of similarities in our experiences, because I mean, even in the green room, you were talking about Mm -hmm. questions I should ask. You said you were an open book. And I was thinking, yes, but not always. And much Mm -hmm. like me, I separated my home life with my work life. Mm -hmm. And it is only in the last five to 10 years that I've allowed both to blend. And you make this point very clearly in the book, that in doing so, actually, we become stronger. Yes. And the people around us become more vested in helping to ensure our success. So, mm. say more about your experience from going from the compartmentalized parental, home, work, Charlene, and all the other different hats you wore to being more of the open book that you described for me this morning? Mm -hmm.
0: Sure. Yeah, that was very hard for me. And I'll say, you know, when I wrote the book and it came out and friends who've known me for a long time, you know, called and said, I cannot believe you wrote that book. I cannot believe you gave up uh, so much of yourself, you know, and it all started, I'd say probably a good 10 years ago where I was, Living happily, compartmentalizing my life, and then you start to feel things kind of ease over, right? And then I decided to give up on the big lie, which I call work-life balance, right? <laughs> I just don't believe in that. And so, um, but at the same time, what had really happened is I'd started in a new job, and I um, and I was I thought anyway I was kicking butt and taking names but I was doing it by myself. My team was Mm -hmm. not with me at all. And I had done everything I could to be what I call the perfect black female executive. Right. And what I learned is that level of perfection to other people um, was suspect. They didn't believe it. It was like, Oh, well, Charlene's not real. You know, she's not human. And so um, my husband and I used to have these really big summer parties And my boss at the time had said, well, why don't you invite your team to the party? And I thought, well, why would I do that? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Why would I mix those two people? You know, and and I worked for one of those companies that say, oh, well, we're like a family. And my viewpoint was I have a family. I didn't come to work to get a family. I have one at home. But I, you know, I listened to him and I invited the whole team um, to um, to our house for a party. And um, and prior to that, no one even knew my address. Right. I mean, I kept Mm -hmm. things really separate. And uh, and I thought, you know, they probably all came because if the boss asks you to a party, you come. Right. What's going to happen if you don't. But when they came to the party and they all they had a great time, we probably had 100 people there you know, they got to see me as a person, not just their boss, right? Um, They saw me interact with my friends and interact with my children and and my husband. And I became very real to them. And from that moment on, it significantly changed our relationship at work. We began to work together better. We began to understand each other's sensitivities and each other's strengths. And the walls just came crumbling down. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh. And I, I had gone to um, a church the week before. And my pastor had, I'd heard it before, but my pastor had said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, mm-hmm. right? And that brought that to life for me um, when we had that party and that changed everything for me from that moment on um, I stopped putting up the walls and I stopped trying to compartmentalize. And in doing so, I realized how much energy I had put into building up these fences, you know, and it, and it happened, I guess, just in time because it was a few years after that, that I was diagnosed with cancer. You know, I, um, I did not work um, during the first part of my treatment because my doctor said to me, um, Charlene, you understand straight talk. So here it is. If you work during your treatment, you will die. You will not make it. And I said, Oh, okay. That's a pretty clear message. Mm-hmm. And um, and while I was out, my team put together a team for um, a walk for breast cancer. They raised thousands of dollars in my name you know, and they were there. I mean, they protected me, Um, you know, whenever anybody at work said, oh, we, we, how's Charlene doing? You know, can I give her a call? They're like, no, here's the update. I mean, yeah. it was just, it was amazing the difference it makes when you give of yourself.
1: What I love about that is the counterpoint of the straight shooting, uh, direct talking doctor. So mm-hmm. unequivocable, you cannot work, if you do, you'll die and then the soft leadership of your team who are defending you as you're going through the recovery process, Mm -hmm. which to me, and as you know, this is close to my heart, the power of relationships make Mm -hmm. or break careers every day. So in the book, you talk about how everyone needs a champion. You gave us two great examples, your team there and your doctor, Mm -hmm. and you differentiate between mentors and advocates and so on. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit more about your thought process around everyone needs a champion.
0: Sure, sure. So a lot of companies focus on mentors. And and don't get me wrong, I think mentors are great. Um, My experience with mentors is when you have a mentor within your company, their job is to actually help you assimilate to the company. In other words, their job is, you know, they show you where the landmines are, but their job really is to make sure you fit into the company. And, And I just I believe in mentors, but I think that's the wrong approach because if we're trying to make you fit into the company, then we're immediately telling you, don't, mm-hmm. don't be your authentic self, right? We, we wanna turn you into another one of us, which just is not my personality at all. But a champion, on the other hand, a champion is someone who sees you for who you are. And they're usually people who are above you. They don't have to be in your organization, um, but they're usually are, and they're people who are above you who are your advocates in those meetings when you're not in the room, right? When you are a junior employee and you're trying to climb up the ladder, you don't have much opportunity to advocate for yourself, right? So you need a champion who says, hey, have we thought about Morag for this job? Or have we thought Mm -hmm. about Charlene for this job? Why aren't we talking about her? Did you know she did X, right? Or, you know, you have to have that person who has the credibility, the authority and the influence to um, to advocate on your behalf. And and the other thing that I would say about a champion and and also an ally is they know the difference between speaking for you and opening the way for your voice to be heard. Right. So often I see a mentor will speak for you and sometimes well-intentioned allies will speak for you. Good allies and good champions will say, I'm not going to speak for you, but I'm going to open the path so that your voice can be heard, so that you can use your voice. So I I encourage people, yes, uh, mentors are important because you want to know where the landmines are in your organization, but if you want to get ahead and you are really trying to build a career, you need champions.
1: So for people listening who are thinking, okay, I need an advocate or a champion or an ally, however they want to describe it, what advice do you have for how do
0: you get one? Where do you find them and how do you get one? Well, it, it, it develops a bit organically, but not 100% organically, right? And to your point of what you mentioned earlier about relationships, it is about building relationships. And I would say I, I wasn't calculated in finding champions, but I did find people who were um, at a higher levels than I was, you know, what, and did I have something in common with them? Right. Did I um, was there a reason for us to have a conversation? And sometimes I would just stop by somebody's office who was senior, who knew something that I didn't. And I'd say, hey, can I just, just get your thoughts on something? And then I'd look around their office and I'd look for points of commonality because we all have more in common than we have mm-hmm. difference. Right. And so I would look for points of commonality. And with some people we stuck we struck up a nice chemistry with others. I didn't. But with the people where I did um, have chemistry with, I worked on developing the relationship. And so then it it developed quite organically, you know, and I tell people, you know, I spoke not too long ago at the um Air Force Academy. And I was sitting with two cadets and someone came uh, by, someone uh, very senior came by who who ran the um, School for Character and Leadership. And he was saying to the young cadets, you know, hey, if you ever need something, you know, or you want to know how something works, please come by and see me, blah, blah, blah. You know, and then, um, and then he left. And I said to them, he just offered to be your champion. Don't yeah. let that go. Take him up on that. And I'm always surprised how many times that, you know, we say to people, if I can help you, if I can answer a question, just let me know. And we never hear from them, right? When people say that to you, take them up on it.
1: Yeah. And that's it. It's a simple, it's a simple tactic that can have a profound mm-hmm. inf- impact. And you were talking earlier about leadership career, it's choice. Yeah. So say more about that.
0: Yeah, so I happen to believe that um, one, you know, I have mantras in my life that uh, that I lead my life through. And one is, um, it's choice, not chance that changes your life. And often when we uh, go into the workforce, especially as women, we're told, you know, put your head down, work really hard, and someone's going to notice you and pluck you out of obscurity, and you're going to have a great career. That is Mm -hmm. the worst career advice Mm -hmm. I've ever heard in absolutely in my life. but when we follow that, we often then also follow into the trap of, well, this is wrong. When is someone going to fix this? When is someone going to notice X? When is somebody even do something about Y? And my viewpoint of it is quit whining and do something about it. If you don't like your circumstances, change them, right? No one has you chained to your desk. And if you are, get a new job. Right. Yeah. But the main thing is um, I always say to people, you know, stop waiting for the Calvary. The Calvary is already here and it's you. Right. So quit whining. If you don't like your circumstances, change them. right. I like that.
1: That's a theme that comes out strongly throughout that book, Mm -hmm. the whole that nobody's coming to save you if it isn't the right fit, then change. If you want that promotion, then ask for what you want. If you want the pay rise, ask for it. Because what's the worst that happens? They say no. Now you have a different choice to stay or go elsewhere. The best outcome is that they say yes, and therefore take the informed risk.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the first promotion I received into the executive ranks, um, you know, I was your typical employee in that I felt I'd been working at that level for mm-hmm. quite a while. I was getting a little bit bitter because nobody was noticing this great work that I was doing. Um, but then finally I was promoted to a corporate vice president and I happened to have, um, uh, been a friends, friends had a relationship, a work relationship with the chairman and we were very friendly. And I asked him one day and I said, you know, Dan, I've been working at this level for a long time and now, you know, five years later, I'm a vice president. What took so long? That's kind of bold of me, but I asked him the question and he said to me, Charlene, you never told anybody you wanted to be a vice president. You, he said, do you have, um, you're married because they knew my husband, you have young children at home. You know, as far as we knew, you, you were on the mommy track, not the executive track, and you never told anyone anything different right and that was the first time i realized if you want something you've got to ask for it you have to make mm-hmm. people aware of what you want and the other thing he said and i'm not picking on men here is he said you know a man will come into an interview and they'll say well what are where do you see yourself in 5 years and the man will say well i see myself as a vice president in this company that's what i'm mm-hmm. working for whereas a woman will say well you know i just want to bring value right I'm kind of like screw that whatever it is that you're after state it. You know how can you get what you want if you don't tell anybody. Which
1: it shows how everything is interconnected because it's the asking for what you want, it's recognizing that there's no white work life balance you talk about this too. There's mm-hmm. life and we choose now personally and collectively the the balance of time we're spending with each hat on. But also that need for champions again because if you have a career aspiration, mm-hmm. if you want to be on a project the more that others know at work that mm-hmm. dream and hope, the more the likely they are to give you the feedback you need to hear, not exactly. what you want to hear. And as you described earlier, when those conversations are happening in a room, because let's face it, they're happening mm-hmm. all the time elsewhere. They're raising your name as a possible candidate. They are right. speaking and opening opportunities for you because they know that that's what you aspire to.
0: Exactly, exactly. And, you know, and there's been lots of research and it's well documented that women, um, especially and um, and uh, minority women or women of color don't necessarily get the feedback that will help them grow. Um, And there are all kinds of reasons for that. But when you have champions, when you have people who advocate for you, they will give you that feedback. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you you have now shown that you are open to that. Uh, And they will give you that feedback and they'll say, you know, Charlene, you know, next time you say that in a meeting or you're trying to get a point across, make sure you have the make sure you say the facts behind it. So people know that you've done the research, right, that you've done what you need to do. That may not be something that I knew before. You know, I had a um, I I, uh, did quite a bit of crisis communications work. And one of the reasons why I'm good at that is because I stay very calm. It takes a lot to get me, you know, outwardly Mm -hmm. worked up. And I was going into a meeting with the board and one of my champions said, "Charlene, listen, you are so calm about things that are really serious that people don't think that you take it seriously. Mm -hmm. So you need to explain to the board that, the, you know, the, the more the proverbial, you know, crap hits the fan, the more the more calm you become. And that's why you're good at what you do. And I had had a meeting with a presentation with the board before. And the feedback out of that was, you know, this is really serious and Charlene doesn't care about it. My champion who was in the room at the time gave me the feedback before the next meeting with the board. And so I opened the meeting and I said, listen, You know, one of the reasons why I'm so good at crisis is because I remain calm in a crisis. If you ever see me running around with my hair on fire, then something is really not right with me. I said, but if I'm talking to you and I'm calm, I've got the situation. I understand the situation. If I whisper, then you need to be worried because I get more calm, the more serious things become. And the meeting went completely different. Than Mm -hmm. the previous one. And I would not have known that otherwise. It's interesting because
1: it's making the implicit explicit. You Mm -hmm. know that this is what makes you good, but others, in the absence of information, write their own story. And invariably, we are hardwired to write the negative stories and paint the other person as the villain. So, again, Mm -hmm. your advocate there, your champion gave you the feedback you needed to hear, you were able to articulate your truth, which changed the perception of others and their willingness Mm -hmm. to lean in and listen. And that to me is a powerful ripple effect Mm -hmm. that just goes to show that this is a team sport. And the more that we can encourage that dialogue Mm -hmm. and reduce the misunderstandings, the more successful we can
0: be together. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, there there were 12 people in that room. And it was the one person who happened to have been a champion for me who said something. But you don't have to formally be someone's champion to say, hey, let me give you a little piece of advice on the next time that you present here, right? Yeah. Or that you talk about this this topic. We need each other, to your point. It's a team sport.
1: So as we come to the end of our time together, I'd like mm-hmm. you just to share, what are the mantras that you live by in this latest iteration
0: chapter of your life? Yes, so um, I have three primarily. Um, One is you are enough. And I really want people to believe and understand that they are everything they need to be right now, right? We spend so much time trying to prove to someone that we are enough. Enough of what, I'm not sure. But I want people to understand You're everything you need to be. And if you start with that as a foundation, you can do great things. The second is um, it's choice, not chance that changes your life. We Mm -hmm. all have choice. It's a gift. Use it. And remember that not making a choice is a choice. Right. So um, and the third one is seven seconds of courage. I believe with seven seconds of courage, you can do anything. And even there's brain science, you know, neuroscientists will tell you that the first six seconds when you need to make a big choice is all emotion, right? And we fear it. It's when we're in, we feel it. It's when we're in the fight or flight zone. But if you can just hold on to that seven second, that's when the other part of your brain kicks in and you can take action. So you just need seven seconds to take a deep breath, make a decision and take action. So those are my three.
1: So Charlene, powerful words to finish Mm -hmm. on. As I said, I'm enjoying listening to you narrate You Are Enough, and I will be listening to it several Mm -hmm. times over. I encourage everybody watching and listening to this episode to do the same. It truly is a powerful and inspirational uh, life lesson for all of us, no matter where you are at your career. So how can those listening and watching this episode learn more about you and the work that you're doing right now?
0: yeah, well, I'm happy to share that. Before I do that, I want to congratulate you on your upcoming book. I had the pleasure of uh, of reading it in advance. And I, as you know from the email I sent you, I absolutely loved the book. And I was just like, yes, 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 with everything <laughs> I read. So so I encourage everyone to go out and um and order this book because it really is fantastic. It's uh, you, me, we, uh, and it's it's out there. Go get it. Um, Where you can get in touch with me, I'm all over LinkedIn under uh, Charlene Wheelis. Of course, my website uh, is CharleneWheelis.biz, B-I-Z. Uh, And um, I'm pretty much all over social media uh, everywhere. Uh, For the most part, and so I encourage you to um, to contact me, look me up. I always like to help people where uh, where I can. You uh, also my website, you can find out you know what kind of coaching I'm doing, and also uh, where I may be uh, keynoting uh, next in the places where I where I can promote that. So thank you, Morag, for having me.
1: Well, Charlene, it's been a pleasure. I wish you ongoing success, and look Mm -hmm. forward to an opportunity for us to continue Mm -hmm. to collaborate and to learn from each other. Thank you for joining me on People First. Great. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe
1: so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your
0: relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at sky That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.